Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and in our last session, we looked at Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 and talked about the master plan of God, which he accomplished through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. In sending his son, he was able to provide a way not only for humanity to be reconciled to God, but for humanity to be reconciled back to one another so that Jews and Gentiles now, who formerly were uh, in opposition to one another and animosity toward one another, now, through faith in Jesus Christ, they're being brought back together in one body, and uh, this is the church of Jesus Christ. And so the letter to the Ephesians is about the glory and the greatness of the church as God's master plan for humanity. Now today we're looking in Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, and I want to highlight uh, some of the lessons that Paul teaches, uh, that ways that believers ought to live in light of the realities of who they are as identified with Jesus Christ and members of his body. So in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul turns very practical and tells believers that they must walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called in Christ Jesus in verse 1. Walking is a metaphor for living the Christian life that can be seen uh, going all the way back into the Old Testament in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, we read, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Walking is a metaphor there for living in a certain way. Uh, in, in that instance, living in the way of righteousness. So Paul emphasizes that believers in Christ should walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they've been called as members of his body, members of one church. So he continues to go on to talk about this unity that should characterize followers of Jesus Christ in chapter 4. And verses 4 through 6, there's a very beautiful section here that says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Notice that this formula, again, shows the, the persons of the Trinity here. There's one Spirit in verse 4. There's one Lord in verse 5. And Lord is a term that Paul consistently applies to Jesus. And there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all in verse 6. In the unity of the Spirit, then, 
gracious spiritual gifts are given to each follower of Christ. In ascending into heaven, we're told here, Christ gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, verse 12. Christ's desire for his church is that these gifts should be used for the uh, building up of his church into spiritual maturity in verses 13 through 16. So spiritual gifts are not about uh, what I, as the individual believer, get out of my gift, so much as what I use my gift to put into the building up of the body of Christ. Paul then goes on to contrast the old way of life, which was a way that uh, lived as Gentiles do, uh, with the new way of life that's found in Christ. We should put off the old self and put on the new self, verses 22 and 24 of chapter 4, which are characterized by true righteousness and holiness. So the key question here now becomes, how do we do this? How do we put off the old self and put on the new self? What does this look like in our lives? Well, he goes on to talk about this in, in the following verses. In verse 25, Paul says, We are to put away falsehood. We are to control our anger. In verses 26 and 27, we should stop stealing uh, for those who are uh, stealing, but instead work hard. Verse 28, we should use our language for God's glory. Verse 29, and, and not for tearing one another down. And uh, we should not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. We put off bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. And instead, we put on kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness in verse 32. All of these verses really serve to show that the way that we put off our old self is to put down selfish desires and instead to take up the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ, and to live in love and in righteousness. Now we move into Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians 5, we are told first to be imitators of God as his beloved children. We must walk in love as Christ did, giving himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 2. As the life of Jesus was characterized by love, so should our lives be. Paul then addresses sexual immorality in verses 3 through 7. This type of sin, he says, must not even be named among Christians. Furthermore, we should not even waste our time joking about or thinking about these things, but instead should be filled up with thanksgiving. Paul says no one who practices or consistently lives in this type of sin has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And because of this, God's wrath is coming upon the world. Verse 6, we should not partake of this sin with the world around us, uh, who are outside the church, outside Christ, but resist it instead. 
Paul then urges believers to walk in light as children of light, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, verse 10. We should not participate in the works of darkness, but should instead uh, expose the works of darkness. We're to walk as wise people, not as unwise or fools, because the time is short and the days are evil, he says in verses 15 and 16. We should not be foolish or ignorant, but we should seek to understand what God's will is. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not giving our bodies over to other substances, and we should address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of our reverence for Christ. This is a section that's telling us that we ought not to fall into the sinful practices of the world around us, but we should stand apart from those practices and live as Christ would have us live. In the final section of Ephesians 5, Paul addresses wives and husbands and how they are to live with one another as followers of Christ. He addresses three verses to wives and nine verses to husbands. So to wives, he says, they should submit to their own husbands as the church submits to Christ, following his direction and leadership. Husbands then are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands should love their wives like their own bodies. They are called to love their wives and wives are called to respect their husbands in verse 33. We move into the final chapter now of Ephesians chapter 6. And in the final chapter of the letter, Paul first addresses children and parents. Children should obey their parents and honor their father and mother, following the pattern of the Old Testament. Fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, in verse 4. Slaves should obey their masters with fear and trembling, not just as people-pleasers, but doing the will of God from their heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You know, this sounds very foreign to our ears today. We think of slavery in such uh, negative uh, connotations with, with uh, negative uh, images in our minds. And indeed, slavery was never part of God's good design. Uh, you might think, well, why doesn't Paul uh, tell the believers that if anyone are slaves, that they should just run away? I think Paul understood that for many, that would not be possible in their present situation. And so he urges them to, in their situations as slaves, suffer well on behalf of Christ, knowing that it's not by any means an ideal situation, but they could honor the Lord Jesus while they were serving their masters. Now to masters, he goes on to say, masters are to stop threatening, but to do good to their slaves, knowing that they have a common master with their slaves in heaven, referring to the Lord. And there is no partiality with him. 
this was a, a clear knock on slavery in the ancient world of the day. Uh, in the eyes of God, all human beings are created equal. We're all created in the image of our creator. And so slavery is not something that God ordained or God desired. And yet uh, in the situations that they were in, Paul says, if it's not able to change, this is how you should act within those situations. Paul then goes on in verses 10 and following to use an Old Testament metaphor of armor to restate what he has already said in chapters 4 and 5 up to this point. They are to stand against the spiritual forces in the invisible angelic realm who are seeking uh, their destruction. Now, God has provided his armor for us to wear in this spiritual warfare. This armor, however, is not unseen to us. It is the godly characteristics of our Lord that surround and protect us. So we're told to wear truth as a belt and righteousness as a breastplate. Paul had already told us to speak the truth in love in chapter 4, verse 15, and put on righteousness in chapter 4, verse 24, our feet should be ready to carry the gospel of peace uh, or the gospel that makes peace. We should take up the shield of faith in the Lord with which we may put out the flaming darts of the evil one. Confidence in God protects us during the trials and temptations of this life. We're to take the helmet of salvation, our hope in eternal life, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are linked together in this passage. This should show us that the primary means the Spirit uses for directing believers today are the Scriptures. Uh, we are to pray at all times in the Spirit, praying for all the saints. And Paul also requested prayer for himself to be able to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which he was an ambassador in chains, he says in verses 19 and 20. Finally, Paul closes this masterful work on the church with the section of final greetings from himself and Tychicus, his mail carrier, uh, who would be bringing the letter to the churches. He concludes with peace love with faith, and grace to all who love the Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible. In our next session, we'll continue to look at the prison epistles that Paul wrote during his first Roman imprisonment. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.